Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I have the joy to introduce the owner of Keg and Kitchen, which is in Haddonfield, New Jersey, um, Kevin, <clears throat> sorry, Kevin Meeker and his chef, Bill Elmer, who are joining us for the show today. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. No problem. So you, as my, uh, prior to us hopping on, as my, as my co-host Gene Blum had uh, mentioned, you have been in the industry for a very long time, starting, I believe, in 1970, in the 1970s. Um, uh, somewhere around there. Yeah. So what actually inspired you to, to get into the restaurant business? Because it is a long career path that you followed at this point. And, you know, you've obviously opened several restaurants and still have some of them running. Um, but what brought you into this industry? I'll give you a very short version because it's, it's, it, it's really too long, but uh, I always work in the business. Uh, and when you get work in this business, you get the money. Uh, I went to college, planned to be an architect. Um, in between starting graduate school, I went to a Mexican restaurant, met the owner, and it was like field of dreams, build and they will come, and the rest is history. And I opened up my first Mexican restaurant, opened two more after that, wanted to take that nationwide. My partners had a different idea, which was my sister's, so I left there and opened up another restaurant and a couple other restaurants after that. And Bill and I actually met years ago in Old City when I had Philadelphia Fishing Company. He worked with the Omni right up the street. So we've known one another for quite a while. Mid-90s, yeah. Yeah. So you have a little bit of a history. Now, has has Bill um, been a chef for you prior to this, or is this his first time working at one of your restaurants? First time. But okay. we've known one another for a while. Um, and so I want to also, you know, give a nod to your wife, because I know that she has owned the restaurants alongside with you. So when did you meet her and did you meet her through the industry or did you meet her just by chance? Actually, she introduced me to the owner of the Mexican restaurant. We met in college. Oh, that's sweet. We've been together for, yeah, and we worked together and everyone, you know. It's hard working with your wife, but we we pulled it off for all these years. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, I, these guys have to um, put up with us like kids, you know, like mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very it's the this is a business. It's it's unconventional, so you're kind of used to that that you know that dynamic. You get like family in a restaurant, so kind of used to it. Yeah. Um. All right. So I know that. Easter is obviously a big thing and Lent is a very large thing. And you previously did, you know, were running the Philadelphia um, Fish Company. One of the things that I wanted to touch base on is you're doing a throwback to the menus, um, some of the menu items that were related to that company. So, you know, what brought brought about you making that decision? And is there a hint for maybe another restaurant opening up? Can, like I, a re- can, I, can I chime in here one second and lay a little yes. groundwork for those? Because 
Everest, we're we're slightly different ages. Yes. So I'm going to tell you that Philadelphia Fish Company was one of the great anchor restaurants in the city of Philadelphia. It was really I loved going there through the years. Uh, but then and I and I love the Omni as well. Had a great little jazz lounge, uh, jazz piano lounge in there. But uh, you know, love that. But so you know, when we go to the you know giving a little tribute. It's like, you know, saying that we're giving a tribute to LeBec Finn or we're giving a tribute That's to Joe Chavinides or anything like that because Philadelphia Fish Company was really an amazing restaurant in the city of Philadelphia and laid the groundwork for a lot of copycats that came after that. Thank you very much. Nice to hear. Well, that's actually uh, one of the reasons a lot of people who come in here would say, hey, I used to come to Philadelphia Fishing Company. Um, so to answer your question, kind of two parts, I thought, well, people don't really think of us as seafood, so let's capitalize on that. People then realize I used to own the restaurant, people who didn't know that. And instead of, I talked, Bill and I talked with, uh, I talked to some old chefs, we talked about dishes they love, and Bill put his, twist on them rather than doing them exactly like we did back then and then bill had his own ideas what would be philadelphia fishing company be serving now if we were still there okay and so that's kind of what we decided to do and the lesson no i'm not going to open another restaurant <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's always hope because <laughs> any you know, maybe, but no, I really, you know, don't take at this point. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a seafood lover, like, through and through, Um, you know, and if you do, you know, surf and turf, like, I'm definitely, like, you have my heart. Yeah. But um, what are some of the menu items that you are offering since, you know, we are in still within Lent and still, yeah. you know, Easter is right around the corner this weekend, so... Well, so that was the thing. We, um, I didn't work there, but I was in the area at the time. So it was fun for me. It was, it was really nice collaboration because we almost got to step back in time and do dishes in the air of the nineties. Yeah. Mm. And, um, and we went through old menus. We talked to a couple other people. Um, I actually talked to, uh, my, my fish purveyor and asked them like, what were some of the things that you remember from this time? So one of the things that had stuck out was uh, the salmon um, was a dish that was very popular. It was uh, panko crusted, um, redless potatoes, and then um, a little salad of uh, red onions and cucumbers with dill, some sour cream, a little Dijon in there. Um, and uh, and then the plate ups of it on it was really fun. I kind of threw it back. I took a I took a page out of the '90s with uh, plate presentation, and it was it was fun for me because that's when I learned to be a chef and plate presentation. So we had done um, we done crab cakes, very traditional. Um, we've been running for all of Len um, the the very popular uh, seafood chowder, the Philadelphia Fish Company uh, fish chowder, um, and shrimp and grits was um, wildly oh, yeah. successful. Yeah. That was. Um, that came right out. It was I was going to switch everything up, and um, and that was a clear winner from week one. So I've just been running that. The salmon. Um, I do a Brazilian uh, moqueca um, okay. with uh, uh, palm oil, um, coconut milk, um, a couple of different chilies. Um, I use a uh, cod, um, shrimp, and mussels in it with some yellow rice. It's really neat. 
Um, it's delicious. Yeah, fun, really fun things. And then we 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 have um, available things on the menu that are always the uh, the black and mahi tacos. Um, we do a, uh, a catfish po' boy, which um, knocks it right out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, fun things. And I saw that. Um, I believe it's uh, you also do not part of the Lent menu, but you have it on your menu. Is the mussels in a, a curry sauce? Yeah, the coconut curry. You like you you guys Kegan Kitchen is not that far from me for a drive. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did I not know that that was on your menu? I'm surprised I'm not there like daily because I love anything with curry involved. Um, and definitely, as I said, I'm a seafood lover, but some of some of the other items, like the crab cake, are you gonna incorporate the these um nods? to throughout your regular menu like are any of the items going to be incorporated into your regular menu that you offer no problem yes the answer is yes um when when we get a collaboration or if we run a special and um and it works i really let the guests kind of decide what is and what's coming back we listen to them we listen to the servers um and as people start to ask like hey listen i had this here um, when can I see that? So we will definitely, I don't know about a place on the menu, but um, specials definitely. Yeah. I think the good thing about having, and I don't want to call us old, but seasoned uh, owners and chefs, it's not about us. It's about the guest. So, you know, we, we don't have to say, oh, I have to prove that I can do this because the dishes that you think everyone's going to love sometimes fail. And dishes that you think no one's going to love take off. So um, yeah. it was really nice that we work well together. We get in fights every now and then, but we, we work out. Family. <laughs> I mean, family. Yeah. Anytime you have a family like incorporated like in any way, whether it's by blood or you know by choice, um, you you're gonna like butt heads because opinions. Not everyone has the same opinion. So um, now. I know, obviously, you still own, like, not just Keg and Kitchen, you also own other um, venues as well. Are there, when you opened Keg and Kitchen in, I think it was 2010 or 2012, um, after, you know, having to close Cork, unfortunately, you reinvented the the venue and turned it into Keg and Kitchen. Um, did you incorporate anything from your other restaurants and bring it into, into Keg and Kitchen? Not really. Um, you know, when we originally opened Cork 2005, that was pre-recession, the big, you know, recession that happened that knocked so many restaurants out, you know, before the COVID one that, you know, that was the second knockout, but we survived both of them. Um, no, not really. I just wanted to, I was looking more for, Cork was, you know, kind of wine and a little more high end. And in 2007, eight, when people said, I'm not spending any money anymore, we went more family. So really wanted to be, and that really was the winner. Because yeah. you come here with, my grandkids come here and they love coming here, you know, and they're one and a half and three. So we have a lot of families, but we have a lot of single people. Uh, a lot of, I mean, really the spectrum here is all over the place. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> So um, moving forward, you know, beyond just like you, the menu, the venue itself, you have an indoor and outdoor space. So, you know, what 
what can people, when they visit you, um, look forward to, especially with the weather, like changing and getting warmer out, are you going to, you know, throw some, some events coming up? Well, this week, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have the square, um, right across. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's weekly events there. We benefit from that a great deal. People were able to walk right across the street, um, and they have parades. We have the Mummers coming up, I yep. think, this week. April 29th is the Mummers. 14 bands going to be coming, starting in Haddonfield, and they're going to come right down uh, Haddon Avenue. So, and then I know one of the bands, I don't know, might be Quaker City, I don't know, is going to be playing here in the parking lot. Uh, but uh, then we have the Pride Parade, and we have the Summer Solstice, right. all these events that we do. Plus, we have the Beer Garden outside, which is uh, a great area for people to sit outside. And we have another area that we've just been working on with picnic tables in the parking lot, which is people love just to sit outside. So you have both or come inside with the air conditioning, depending on what you what your preference is. Yeah. Now, I, obviously, you're family friend, friendly. Is the outdoor space also for for family friendly? Yeah. And dog friendly. <laughs> yes. That, well, that's what I was getting at is, you know, can, oh, yeah. you, can people uh, bring? Okay. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> now, aside from just the events that, you know, are thrown that you guys all obviously kind of get grandfathered into because you're along that parade route. Um, do you like have happy hour specials that you can offer, you know, people who are visiting? Well, yeah, every day, uh, two o'clock till five 30 happy hour. There's a small menu that goes along with that. Um, it's a $5 menu. We have, uh, their tacos on there. Uh, we have the wings on there. Um, this is happy hour traditionally. And then through sporting events, like if the Eagles were on, we were having, we would open up the happy hour menu. Um, with the Phillies playing, we're talking about putting something together with that while the, while they're on, because it's it's a really comfortable place to come in. It's not real loud. It's not a huge sports bar, but it's a nice place to come in and watch a game, and then eat something delicious and drink some beer. You know, you know, I think that's too. Um, we get a, we get the people, the guests here who want to maybe watch the game, but it's not really what they're you know they what they want to do. They don't want to be in a sports bar, but we have the TV, so they can watch that the happy hour i learned from the best and that was uh, michelle notre dame who owned Cuvée notre dame at 17th and green i was his partner at the time uh, and he had the, the famous five dollar menu and we've kind of stuck to that and, and people love it i mean we have a five dollar old-fashioned um that it just kills it it's uh and Mark, matt marks uh, who is our gm makes some fantastic cocktails yeah, not mocktails along with cocktails. So we have both, which is good because I know yeah. like there's a huge trend on on uh, mocktails now, yeah. which is you know for anybody who doesn't know and is living under the rock, it's it's zero proof cocktails that are created and curated for people who would like to go out enjoy themselves and but not you know indulge in the alcoholic side of of the the drinks. So yeah, it works. Yeah, uh, a five dollar old fashioned. I'm, I'm just like I need to go there. I mean, you yeah, can't find no. a lot. Of, <laughs> you can't buy the good cherries to go in there for that price. I mean, right? I, I yeah. bought a I bought a jar of Luxardo cherries yesterday. It was like twenty two dollars for the that ten ounce jar. 
It was like, wow. You know, yeah. We have regulars who come in just for the old fashioned, you know, little bite to eat. Three o'clock, they're here home by five. I mean, I 100%. I'm like him. I love old fashions and Manhattans. They're like my go-to drinks. Um, so the fact that you offer that. Now, what are some of the other, you know, beverage menu offerings that you have? Well, go ahead. Yeah, so the, um, I get involved with that because I bring <laughs> in the herbs and the, uh, and the nectars. Uh, uh, really fun margaritas. There's a strawberry basil margarita, I think we're running right now. Um, the... Uh, Matt's doing something with uh, with mango and uh, guava. Oh, yeah, that's that. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have my glasses, so I can't. I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the orange uh, gin and tonic. Yeah, nice. Uh, great summer drinks. Yeah, and with this, with the weather clearing, I menu changes coming up um, without outdoor seating, like we were just talking. So there are items that stay on the menu, and then there are items that I'm probably going to be switching out and making them a little bit lighter. Um, we're going to be doing something with, uh, with a really nice ginger dressing, um, on a mm. salad, uh, cucumbers, some iceberg, something, um, crispy noodles, almost like an Asian flair on that. Um, right like now, an ahi tuna. <laughs> I would love that. Absolutely. So, the, uh, we do a, um, a seafood pot pie right now and it's, it, it's, it's hard. So I'm probably going to switch that out. Um, either do like a monkfish asabuco or run the uh, Brazilian, uh, the moqueca, uh, the seafood stew uh, more readily. So some changes coming up. It sounds, it sounds delicious. And I also want to mention the fact that you guys also offer brunch. Um, a lot of people love brunch. So <laughs> let's plug that in there too. And, and along with the brunch, we have the, I think after COVID, it may have gone up dollar or so but we have the three dollar mimosa and the bloody mary so you know what goes better than with the brunch but a bloody mary <laughs> yeah it's, it's a perfect um a perfect additive and uh i believe when i searched your site you also matt had include incorporated the guava mimosa which i've never okay. seen anybody do so right. um that's definitely an interesting uh, twist on a regular brunch menu. Eric, uh, he did. He was doing some. Oh, well, we, yeah. I'm candying bacon right oh, yeah, now. Candy bacon. Um, so there. he'll take uh, hot cherry peppers and he's stuffing them with goat cheese. And then I'm doing candy bacon. And that's going yeah. on the, uh, the Bloody Mary right now. And so when can you guys expect me? <laughs> like, <laughs> all the time? Get the Bloody Mary. I'll just eat the bacon. <laughs> Um, all right. So I, I had a lot of fun speaking with both of you, but unfortunately the time is now up. So please let our listeners know where they can find you online and in person. Okay. It is www.theletternkitchen.com. And we're at 90 Haddon Avenue in Haddon Township, New Jersey, which is right between Haddonfield and Collingswood off of Cuthbert Boulevard. It's a perfect 10 minutes from the city. It's a perfect location and easily, um, easily found on public transportation. Already, too. Yeah. Yeah. West so. um, Patco, high speed line. Exactly. So thank you so much again for joining us on food farms and chefs. And I look forward to digging into that menu. Yes, please. <laughs> Looking forward to having you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jean.
Have a great afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All righty. All right. And we will be right back after this short commercial break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Welcome back. At this time, it is a great honor and a wonderful opportunity to speak with uh, Mike Dalowitz. He is the founder and chairman of the 618 Hospitality Group, uh, as well as a tremendous serial entrepreneur that has uh, transcended so many different businesses. Uh, but now with the 618 Hospitality Group and one of his other endeavors in point of sale service, uh, Mike is bringing and is uh, co-founder and, and chairman of the Borscht Belt Restaurant in Stockton, New Jersey, as well as one that's going to be opening soon in Bucks County. Mike, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Mike, um, you know, you've been involved in the hospitality industry uh, for quite some time as a, a true entrepreneur, but you've really um, got your you know, Teeth went as an entrepreneur and founder of many different companies across the board in technology, in retail, in a lot of different things. And before we get into your partnership to uh, Form 618, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Well, I am, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an AA. Uh, that, that's Attorneys Anonymous, 17 years recovery now. Um, so I started my career out as a, as an attorney, uh, did some big firm practice for a year and a half, realized that that wasn't for me. I had a background in, uh, nightlife and hospitality. I was one of, uh, the big club promoters in New York city back in the late nineties, early two thousands, and, uh, decided to use my, uh, legal degree more for, um, branching off my connections over there, got into, uh, entertainment management. Um, which was which was great, and uh, had my first opportunities actually working with some uh, TV chefs in the early 2000s, which was very interesting. And then I sort of went a different direction, and uh, um, I found an opportunity in the legal industry um, to do some services for lawyers. And uh, there was an area called electronic discovery or e-discovery that was a brand new area, and I saw some holes. Uh, and gaps in the industry, and I decided to fill those and create some great um, outsourced services and game-changing technology. And um, you know, spent a good amount of time over you know twelve years in that industry, um, reaching uh, you know uh, multiple multiple companies to uh, large exits for bootstraps. So um, that was always very interesting. And then I had an opportunity to figure out the rest of my life, and uh, I was. You know, it was veering more towards that food and wine and going back there. I got my degree uh, later, a few, few few years back in enology and viticulture, and I was going to become a, uh, a winemaker and uh, buy a vineyard, and some things got in the way of that, and I had to choose a whole new path in life, and, uh, you, know, the, you know, this was right before the pandemic as I exited my industry, and I had the world as my oyster to choose from. 
Well, so your partner with uh, Nick Liberato, who uh, for our listeners, hopefully you know who he is, uh, have been involved in, you know, some of the premier food television shows, Bar Rescue, you know, um, to name a few, um, you know, Chef Masters, just great background, a Philly boy nonetheless, he grew up in South Philadelphia, took his love of food to the West Coast uh, to be a, you know, when he was a surfer and uh, lived out on the West Coast, comes back to the East Coast to, uh, you know, start his roots again. Now you and him have 618 Hospitality Group and an amazing restaurant in in kind of the throwing back, uh, you know, and paying tribute to the old Jewish deli. So tell us, uh, to our listeners, about 618 Hospitality and the Borscht Belt. Yeah, so, you know, after um, exiting my industry and trying to figure out what the rest of my life what I was doing, I was picking my kids up from Hebrew school. And uh, Rabbi asked me uh, what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And this was around February 10th or 11th, 2020. Uh, so right before the pandemic. And I said, well, I was thinking of going into the wine industry, but got some hurdles over there. But really, he, he says to me, what was missing? Uh, from your life that you would want to do all over again. And I told him about a story, and this all became this cosmic connection, um, that I was supposed to, at one point, be an apprentice for a restaurateur, a big restaurateur in New York City, Miami, Vegas, L.A., named Jeffrey Chattero. And uh, that was that was a, a goal of mine that I really never hit and I wanted to get into eventually. And the rabbi says, look up. And I look up, and it's the Chattero Sanctuary. I did not know that. Jeffrey Trotterow, um, you know, ha, you know, had a home in the area and had his kids grow up and get bar mitzvah there. And I thought this was an amazing, you know, coincidence. And then he says, well, you know, what else is a coincidence? I just got a call from one of our teacher's husbands, who is a big chef with the TV shows. And he's out in L.A. and he want, he's moved his family back here where he grew up and he needs a partner to come on board with him in order for him to move back here. And so Nick and I first uh met through the rabbi on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2020. And it was uh, love at first bite. You know, we uh, we hit it off. We were, um, you know, just similar backgrounds and, and likes and personalities and uh, just passions. And we, we said, Let, let's go ahead and do this. And uh, so we, uh, we were planning during that, that uh, you know, four week, you know, or so period uh, right before the pandemic, actually a tri-level sushi seafood restaurant on the uh, Delaware River in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And we were in the middle of negotiating a lease. And by March 12th, uh, you know, we, we uh, the pandemic hit and we had to figure out the rest of our lives. And Nick already moved back here and we're sitting there six feet in my backyard with masks uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do over here. And, and we started, and we started thinking and he's like, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I have a background in, you know, technology and I think, you know, technology enabled, you know, concepts right now are going to be great, especially for the pandemic. We need to do something pandemic proof. We need to do something that has big scale um, and something that, you know, for me that has big scale is something that kind of, you know, died, you know, many years ago that once once was a huge area and uh, something that we both had passion about. And, um, you know, we, you know, we decided on, uh, you know, the need for New York bagels and great appetizing and Jewish deli. And he was, uh, you know, out in L.A., him and his wife used to go to 
Cantors and, and Langers and uh, his wife was the uh, like that prototypical Brooklyn Jew that missed all the great food from home living in L.A. And, um, you know, so they had their 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 favorites out there. And, you know, he uh, always embraced, um, you know, with his children who are, uh, you know, growing up Jewish and attend uh, Shirami synagogue and his wife, you know, the Jewish um, culture, religion and food. And we just we thought this is going to be a home run. Um, I told him about the Borscht Belt, um, which, you know, he wasn't so familiar with, but my family owned many of the iconic um, uh, institutions out there or managed some of them as well. And I said, this was, this would just hit home. Um, and we decided, well, how are we going to do this? Stockton, right, beautiful area, you know, right across the river, we were able to get it open. We, we were like, this is going to be our test kitchen and went from test kitchen to something really important for the community. And, um, un unfortunately, um, you know, the, uh, the building we were in had some other things going on and we're actually wound up having to close that, that store. Um, even though we were supposed to be expanding and moving it to Newtown, Pennsylvania, which will be opening in a few weeks, which is very exciting, but the concept was a home run. The numbers were, were great, you know, and, and we decided that we were going to go into, um, open this up and then go into franchise mode. Uh, which has been uh, a lot of work to get there, but Nick is, I would say, the most one of the most passionate, talented chefs I've ever seen. He's what he's done with this genre of food in um, his take on the classics, or and perfecting those, or reinventing some of the classics, or adding some nuances uh, out there. It, it's just been I've 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 enjoyed this food over and over, and every time there's a new dish or sandwich or fish that gets imported or something else that comes in for me it's just it, it's again goes back to love at first bite he truly is an extremely passionate chef so in that you have a great partner we have uh some mutual friends who also speak very highly of you uh howard from pita chip so a very similar concept uh you know i'm good friends with uh pita chip and, and uh when i hear one restaurant tour one great restaurant tour talk about the quality and the greatness of the food you're producing. It's, you know, it's always a great uh, testament to what you're doing there. And I know Newtown is going to be a fabulous location for you. I'm excited because I'm only a few minutes away. So uh, you're really looking forward to that and, and doing that. You know, you yeah, Howard, Howard's a, Howard's a friend of ours. Uh, Peter chips, an amazing institution. And uh, I told Howard, I might have to borrow that tahini shake in Newtown from, from him, because it's just, it's, it's tremendous. I always had, end my pita chip meal with a little tahini shake over there. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a, he's a yeah, great guy. His office, I'm the director of operations for a catering facility and, and brew pub and, and numerous other things. And we have some office space and uh, his office is right next to mine. And so it's, it's very nice to see him on a regular basis. And we often talk about, you know your business and how great it's going to be there in Newtown to have that so close. Um, I told him now he won't see me very much up at Pita Chip because to get to Pita Chip I have to come through Newtown, so I'm just going to stop at the Borscht Belt and forget it. But <laughs> fill uh, your belly, fill your belly at the Borscht Belt Deli. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And you know you guys have the the videos you have the the throwback, the tribute, the love letter from Nick to you know the the roots of of the deli industry is just really a fabulous 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 thing so tell our listeners a little bit from your perspective you know 
what the features of the Borst Belt are. What and and for our listeners who don't know, the Borst Belt um, is a region um, kind of named after the region in New York where all the large summer um, you know camps and and summer getaways were up on the lakes up there. People refer to it as uh, you know the Jewish Alps or the Borst Belt. Um, so, you know, I love that we have that throwback, but tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what they can expect. Yeah. So going, going to the Borscht Belt, I like to, you know, in, in a nutshell, it's almost like Jewish Johnny Rockets, right? You, you come in there and the, it, it, it feels like the, the fifties and sixties, the colors, the vibe, the music playing as well. Um, we actually, in this location, um, took time to procure, uh, many of the artifacts of the Borscht Belt, and that's going to be on display sort of as a mini museum in this location of uh, real, real uh, um, um, art and artifacts and uh, memorabilia from, from the Borscht Belt, which is going to be amazing. And, uh, um, you know, when you when you get to us, it, it's it's a combination of a few different things, right? You're, you're going to come in, you're going to have the vibe, but more importantly, the, the food. It, it's... Whatever Nick um, doesn't make in house, and I'll get into that in a second. We we've spent many, many, many moons uh, and time sourcing the best of the best. So uh, mostly from New York City. Uh, so our bagels, we have a uh, longstanding partnership with Essa Bagel in New York City. So we get fresh baked Essa Bagels daily, which is absolutely tremendous. Um, our bialis are from Shelsky's of Brooklyn, uh, oh. fresh baked. Um, amazing bialis out there are appetizing a little above the, your, your general appetizing and fish that you get out there. Uh, and the fish that we import is from Samaki, which is up in the Catskills. It's just truly a, a cut above over there. The baked goods as of now, and we're going to start making more of them in house, uh, come from, uh, Rockland bakery, uh, in New York. Uh, they have fresh delivery daily to us. Um, uh, we have a special, chocolate babka that everyone loves. And that comes from a uh, 100-year-old Hasidic bakery in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, that we get fresh, which is just truly amazing. And uh, um, knishes and um, blintzes from knishnosh in uh, Forest Hill, Queens. So, you know, we've taken a lot of time for what we don't make in-house to really source the best of the best of the best. And when you come in for breakfast, uh, you know, it's going to be a little different at this Borscht Belt from what people saw at Stockton. We're going to be on open table. We have 24 reserved seats, highly composed plated dishes, um, you know, amazing, unique Benedicts and chocolate babka French toast and matzo brais and amazing egg sandwiches and, and uh, uh, scrambles and other things that are just truly uh, Nick has taken the time to just create these dishes that we didn't have over there. Um, we're going to have, um, the general line, we're going to be using technology as, like I said, so when you come in, we're going to have the ability, um, we'll have our express window. Uh, we have an app, uh, that we've built through my, our other company, Wizable, which will be an express app for just in time, uh, pickup, um, for what, what you want. And if you don't want to wait online, we'll have mobile ordering stations. So you can actually, if you don't want to wait online, you want to look at the food and order right there at the, at the screens, you can do that. We'll have an express station. We're going to be bringing in um, a, a great coffee program from my favorite coffee place out of Portland, Oregon, um, Stumptown Coffee. 
And uh, we're going to be the first of its kind in this region outside of New York City, which is uh, truly awesome. And um, we'll have uh, nitro on tap and some just great uh, coffee options to go with your uh, your food. Um, then you can wait online just like in you know the deli and go through. We're going to have about, I think, 16 different types of fishes um, from, you know, Icelandic salmons and oriking salmons and Scottish salmons and uh, different types of herrings and uh, sturgeons and sables and and just truly trying to to um, you know bring back the highlights of of some of the great appetizing that you used to see in New York City, um, you know in the uh, you know mid century and bringing back some of those great fishes out there. Our sandwiches knock your socks off. Our our house steamed pastrami and corned beef. Uh, done, you know, uh, Katz's style more like that, that, you know, thicker New York, you know, fat rendering style, but you can have the option of lean if you prefer that we were able to do that. Nick's house roast meats are amazing from his turkeys to his, to his briskets and roast beefs. The brisket is amazing. It reminds me of second Avenue deli in New York, but Nick put it just a, a, a fabulous spin on it. It's one of my favorite things. And he goes into these creative dishes. Like we have the bon mitzvah which is like a brisket banh mi. We have Jackie Mason's Cuban, which is like, you know, corn tongue and salami, but, look, you know, I'm pressed challah bread with the pickles and mustard and everything you'd find in Swiss on a Cuban. The iconic dish of the Catskills, um, oddly enough, the iconic dish of the Catskills was the RPG, the roast pork on garlic bread, which seems odd for a Jewish deli, but, you know, it was just a, a truly iconic sandwich out there. Um, and so we're going to be doing that, uh, char siu roast pork, um, you know, sauce on garlic bread with, uh, pickled cucumbers and, uh, really bringing back some of those iconics. So you can get your classics, you can get your Rubens and Rachel's, which are amazing. Um, you can get, um, your more composed dish and for the holidays, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately we, we, we missed Passover by a couple of weeks this year, but we were preparing for it. And then some more delays uh, that we had delayed us a couple weeks, but um, our holiday dishes that Nick's does from our roast chicken to our briskets, to vegetables, to the, you know, the, um, you know, and anything is his matzo crack is, is tremendous in our matzo ball soup and the staples. It's just, it's, I, I get so excited every time I, I, I look at what we're producing out there and then our customers and their experience and the feedback that we've gotten on on bringing this genre of food to a, a totally different level. And Nick, you know, just his 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 passion for um, you know for this food and and the Jewish culture is just is just bar none uh, refreshing every time you know I get to be a part of this. Yeah. So all that being said, you just built so much excitement into it, and as we're running short on time here. Before I give my final kudos to the two of you, um, tell our listeners kind of an expected date and where they can find you and where they can find you online. Well, you can go to theborschbelt.com. You can follow our social media on Facebook and Instagram, uh, which is at the Borscht Belt. Um, you could get some updates. I'm actually on the board of the Borscht Belt Museum, which is opening in a couple of weeks up in Ellenville, New York. And so we're going to be part of the first Borscht Belt Fest up there. So if you're up in the Catskills over there, the Borscht Belt's going to be a big part of that. We're in Newtown, Pennsylvania, Bucks County. And um, we we, uh, we have our catering van now, so you can see us on the road. 
Uh, and you can expect this opening and hopefully right now our timeline is the end of April. Um, and, and hopefully we can meet that. Uh, our first timeline was summer 2022, but uh, there was just a little too much red tape uh, for that. But what you're going to expect is just um, a, a foodie dream. Um, you, you know, you don't have to be part of the Jewish culture to to like this food. This is, this, you know, the, the cuisine that we're putting out is just made for people that love great food and want to be and, and are passionate about food and experience. They're going to get that top notch cuisine. And one more thing, we're bringing a, a, a higher element to this food. So we're going to have these tiered towers that you can order. Um, and, and it's just an elevated um, opportunity to enjoy this, you know, this cuisine. And we, we hope that everyone could join us, be a part of it. You can expect comedy shows, um, book readings and other things that are just um, uh, great entertainment. We're going to bring the piano player, keyboardist from Sammy's Romanian Steakhouse, uh, Danny Love from New York in. Uh, so really just, uh, you know, the iconic um you know, uh, fixtures that you would see back in the day, you know, in New York and the Cascals brought back here to life and hopefully expanded around the U S as we start the franchise. Mike, thank you so much. And I want to do one final shout out as we close out that you can hear the passion of Mike's voice. You're talking about an individual here who you may or may not know who is so focused on the community is a mentor as well as a board member at one of my favorite playhouses, the Bucks County Playhouse. So here is a businessman who invested in the community. Mike, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. I cannot wait to be at the Borscht Belt. I look forward to it, and um, I will certainly find you and introduce myself when I'm up there. Thanks a lot. appreciate the time, guys. Thank Take you care. so much. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs, and I am here with Jesse, who is John Bon Jovi's son, and he has collaborated with his father and one of his friends to create a rosé that is phenomenal. So, Jesse, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, coming out. No problem. Um, so what inspired you to actually, I mean, I read a little bit about your history, obviously, but um, what started all of this? Lots of drinking. Uh, no, the, the running joke that we always say is out in the Hamptons, people drink more rosé than they drink water. And so we called everything between me and my buddies, we would call everything we were drinking Hampton water because we were drinking so much of it. And one night, my dad has always been a big fan of rosé. He will make the argument that he's the reason that rosé is in the Hamptons. I don't know how true it is, but that's what he'll claim. Uh, he would always call it pink juice. And one night we started giving him a hard time when he offered us a glass. We said, look, you're drinking with us. You're drinking Hampton water. You're not drinking pink juice anymore. And he lit up, thought it was very funny. One thing turned to another. He said, can you imagine if someone put that on a bottle? And the next day we wouldn't leave him alone. He said, look, go take those business school degrees and do something with them. And so we went back to school. I designed the label, designed the bottle, and came up with the concept of the Hampton life. We've been running ever since. Wow. So you actually designed the bottle yourself? That's actually very cool. Now, when you worked with um, Gerard and the your uh, winer winemaker, were you like tasting everything that went in? Were you how many how many um, times did you have to taste and how long did it take before you chose or decided upon this particular? Well, so we 
originally, 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 we literally just went to the wine store and bought every rosé we got our hands on, just so we could kind of get an understanding of what was happening in Spain versus what was happening in Italy versus what was happening in California and Long Island. And we knew that we always really liked French rosés. All of our favorite rosés were coming out of Provence. You know, we, we understood the style, and we saw that that's really where I think the rosé category was headed, more of that dry sort of style, mm-hmm. a little bit more fruity, but not necessarily sweet. And so when we had the opportunity to meet with Gerard Bertrand, who, you know, second-generation winemaker, he owns 17 vineyards in the south of France. He's the guy in Languedoc. We were intrigued because it wasn't Provence, but it's sort of the next-door neighbor. You know, it's the next region over. And so when we were able to get the opportunity to meet with him and sort of explain our vision, he said, look, you guys got to come out, and I want to show you the place. And so I went in September of 2017. And then we went and did the final blend in December of 2018, and then we launched it in February of 20—no, I'm sorry, December of 2017, and then we launched it February of 2018. And so um, we spent a week there doing the blend, and it's interesting, right, because it's a little bit science, a little bit art. Yeah. And Gerard sort of led us through it, and he's literally had 20 different varietals laid out in bottles. And again, you know, this is a Grenache blend, Syrah and Soma Vedra, and so— he sort of said, look, I think it's got to be primar- primarily Grenache, but let's play around with it. And so the first day was literally just mix and match, spin it around, and literally we all wrote our names on pieces of paper and put it under glasses. <laughs> and we all took a sip of each one. We said, okay, we think this one's our favorite. It was actually my dad's blend. And so then we literally took that and said, well, it was this percent this, this percent this, it's this percent this. And by the last day, we were literally using eyedroppers and test tubes to measure out exactly how much and then Gerard was able to say okay well if that's 100 milliliters then that would be this many gallons that would be this many tanks and this is how we're going to make the blend and so literally we were incredibly hands-on from the very beginning to make this our wine you know it's not like we just white labeled something and slapped our name on it for us it was hugely important that it was something that was premium and it was something that's going to have staying power and in our first year we were rated the best new product in wine by marketwatch.com we got our first 90 point rating from wine spectator and we were named in the top 100 best wines in the world by Wine Spectator at the end of that year. So seemingly we were on to something. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge deal, too, because, you know, not only do you have that 90-point rating on multiple, like, platforms. Four you, years in a row, too. That, which is amazing. No other rosé has ever done it. Yeah, the critical acclaim has been really wild. Yeah. So, I mean, how hands-on have you gotten? Because I saw photos of you guys in the fields, too. So have you actually endeavor oh, yeah. to oh yeah absolutely I mean for the first many years me and my college roommate were the whole company I mean we were doing everything from marketing to sales calls I mean if you were a restaurant and you wanted to bring in a case we were coming to see you yeah. you know and, and so now we've obviously expanded the team and, and we're in all 50 states now in the US we're in 50 countries outside of the US we're the number five selling rosé in the world right now oh which is amazing yeah which is crazy um, but you know, talking hands-on, it's actually a funny story. One of the first times we went, Gerard, he'll start talking about things that will, like, wrap your head up and you won't even begin to understand. The way that he thinks about wine, the way he thinks about bottling, the way he thinks about, literally, the art of growing these grapes is so beyond the average person's ability to comprehend. He starts talking about phases of the moon and why they bottle on certain days because the moon has... And literally, it's like... <laughs> I feel like you're in a lecture. You know, you're like, uh, let's just keep drinking and, you know, we'll, we'll let you do the hard stuff. But literally, one of the first days that we walked through the vineyard, his his primary vineyard is called Chateau Hospitalet. And you can literally see the Mediterranean from the top of the hill. I mean, it's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. If you go on our website, you, there's a whole video of us walking through the vineyard. But Gerard 
literally we're walking through and we're you know tasting grapes and okay taste this one and tell me you know this is what you're going to taste and think about the skins and the pit and it has this kind of acidity and all these and so we're you know trying to play catch up as fast as we can and we're, we're like writing down everything that he's saying <laughs> and literally we thought he was messing with us he took a rock from the ground and so the languedoc region is famous for having limestone schists so underneath all the dirt is limestone which which is good because it also retains water totally too. it retains water but it forces the vines to grow much deeper in the earth and so it it holds water, but you don't necessarily want too much water when growing grapes because then it'll be watered down, and there's a whole again, there's a whole science to that they don't necessarily have to get into, but it leads to really high quality grape growing. And so he picks up a rock off the ground and hands it to my dad, and he goes, "Put this in your mouth." And we were like, "What are you talking about? That's dirt." And he was like, "No, no, no. You'll taste the salinity of the sea, and that's so symbolic of the south of France because we get this fresh." cool air off the ocean but you'll get a little bit of salinity in the actual wine so put this rock in your mouth that's amazing and we're like <laughs> lick the rock we're like oh yeah it's salty you know and so he's like i'm not messing with you you know it's for real this all of these things go into making this great glass of wine and so he always says it's a thousand and one details to make something that's worth drinking and we know about like four of the details but we are trying every day to learn them all I mean, I know that temperature, like, de- you know, depending on when you pick it, like... Totally. I didn't know about the phase of the moon, obviously, yeah, yeah. but, like... <laughs> he literally has it down to this unbelievable science. And, again, I, I will do a terrible job pretending to know what I'm talking about. But, literally, climate change is having a massive effect, especially in France. I mean, regions like Champagne are having a really hard time. Everything from extended frost seasons and massive amounts of grapes being lost to frost to too hot too cold, too much rain, not enough rain, all of these have an effect on that year's vintage. And so there have been regions that have had a really hard time. Thankfully, the Languedoc region is primarily very hot. It's in the south of France. It's right on the water. So it's a little bit more regulated. So we've had a lot of really good luck. And Gerard is telling us that this year's vintage has been one of the best years in the last 25 years. So we're very excited. This is literally, I was saying earlier, this is one of the first times I've actually had this wine. So I got sent three bottles of it over Christmas and it was the very first like they took it from the tank and sent it to us and Gerard said you know this is the first one so me and my dad had one bottle we were like well we think it's good like okay (laughs) and then I literally wasn't really thinking about it and when we were here this morning uh, Ed who runs PA for us he was like oh yeah it's the 2022 I was like how cool (laughs) I haven't even had a chance to really try it we had it one day and so it's been perfect for you because it's been nice to be able to get to kind of enjoy it throughout the day you know and get to try it a couple different times today because it I think it's really beautiful I'm really excited to hear what people think about this year's vintage yeah and I mean it's five o'clock somewhere everywhere in the world so it doesn't matter I started this morning at 10 (laughs) a.m. I mean it's amazing that you guys have all of that history like with with him too like and I know that you went from one vintage one vintner to another trying to find the right person well so Gerard was always our original partner so okay. he was the only one that ever made Hampton Water but we did meet with a number of different vintners That's around the I, country yeah. and, and we certainly tried lots of different wines before we landed with Gerard but again when we were first introduced to him we were very familiar with his wines and yeah. so it was an easy pick for us yeah, because you grew up in, you know, traveling, obviously, with your father, like, to various places around the globe, like, as he was playing um, live music uh, at concerts for everyone, but um, it's, you know, it must have, you must have a, like, great memory, like, childhood memory of, like, playing in, in European countries and, like, growing up well, in... truthfully, you know, like, dad went to work, you know, I was in middle school, people always ask, like, oh, you know, I was, like, touring with your dad. 
So, I don't know, I was in second grade. Like, I went to second grade. You know, so there were definitely times where, yes, we'd absolutely, we'd, you know, we'd go to Europe, we'd go to England, we'd, we'd, you know, meet them in the end of the tour kind of thing in the Mediterranean. We'd go to places, you know, in Greece and things like that. But it would be like if it matched up with summer break, we'd go meet him for a week and then he'd come home. Yeah. You know, and so, yes, I've certainly gotten to travel and I've certainly gotten to travel a lot more because of the wine. Um, but the, a lot of the sort of my youth and the experiences around wine and things like that were truthfully mostly the Caribbean and the Mediterranean. You know, and so it. My dad always jokes, he goes, I've been everywhere and I've seen the hotel lobby. You know what I mean? he, he unfortunately doesn't really get to go and like soak in the sights most of the time. Yeah. Um, now, I, I can't help but not notice the uh, the pink ribbon that is attached to your lapel. Oh, yeah. Um, so I know on the website that you also are collaborating um, with the, the pink? The pink agenda. The yeah. Pink so agenda. We, okay. we, we were introduced to them through an organization called Speed Rack. And so in the last two years, uh, we've spent a lot of time with the USBG, which is the United States Bartenders Guild, and they are, most of these bartenders probably know what it is, but it's essentially an organization of bartenders all over the world, because our belief, and what we found to be true, is that 80% of bartender recommendations are taken. People, you know, what do you have back there? You should try this camp tomorrow. And so we were trying to come up with ways to engage bartenders, because we knew that they were the ones that were making most recommendations in most restaurants. We also had this firm belief that for us, rosé is meant to be fun. It's meant to be easy. It's not meant to be so, you know, look down your nose, snooty as some other wines can be. And so we wanted to create different cocktails so that if you were intimidated by rosé, you didn't feel like you knew a lot about wine, you could have a pink lemonade like we're enjoying in the other room. And you go, well, I've never, you know, been brave enough to order a French wine off a wine list. It can be very intimidating, but I'll have a pink lemonade because that sounds pretty good. Yeah. And now you've found your new favorite rosé. And so we started working with all these different bartenders, and we were introduced to an organization called Speed Rack, which is an all-female cocktail competition. They have contests all over the country, and uh, we have become the favorite rosé of Speed Rack. And so we've sponsored a number of their events. Uh, We sponsored the final last year, and now we're sponsoring all of their regional competitions. And then they introduced us to Pink Agenda, who obviously do amazing work uh, on a lot of research for breast cancer. So it's all been a a great giving back to a lot of different ways and organizations. But yeah, Speed Rack has been... uh, our intro into the pink agenda and they've done a lot of great work together that's amazing now moving forward um since you obviously have had huge success with your rosé are you going to be working with him to come out with various other it's all the works <laughs> no well, the funny thing right is that we always joke people say you know are you coming out with a red are you coming out with a white and we go every year we talk about it and every year we keep talking about it so oh, okay. <laughs> we're trying but we got to slow the train down on this first and then we'll see okay well, I look forward to having some of the cocktails that you created with it. And I know that you also have recipes on your website for, uh, to make some of the, the cocktails. Definitely. So of the cocktails that you've created or tasted, I mean, I, I know it's hard to pick a favorite, but do you have any favorite? The Rosarita is really good. It's a, a rosé margarita that is killer. Um, my other favorite is probably the Hampton 75. It's a, our take on a French 75. It's light, it's easy, and truthfully, I don't really like gin, but something about the florals of the gin and a little bit of sparkling water and the rosé, it all pairs beautifully together. And then people put a little lemon twist on it. It's very refreshing. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice drink. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and taking a minute away from no the crowd so that we can uh, chat. And if I could throw in one more thing. Oh, yes. If you want to keep up with what we're doing and you want to watch me embarrass myself on the Internet, check us out at Hampton Water, anywhere that you find social media. We are there. 
And also, do you have anything else coming up um, in the works uh, as far as events are concerned? There's too much coming up in the works. Check us out on Instagram. You'll find all of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, I will 100% reach out to you. You have yeah. my card. And thank Great. you for joining us on Food Forms and Chefs. Thanks so much. <laughs> all right.